0: Hello and welcome to the Children's Literature Research Podcast. My name is Mark. I'm a PhD student at the National Centre for Research in Children's Literature. And this episode is the second part of a conversation I had with Professor Perry Nodelman at the end of 2020. As well as being the author of numerous books, chapters and essays on children's literature, Professor Nodelman is also a volunteer guide and docent at the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia. In this episode, we explore censorship, racism, and diversity, in both books and art. Um, one of the things that I was very interested in was uh, you were asked for one of your essays on censorship, and you and you decided that uh, you weren't happy with it as it originally was. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about that, and just okay, sure. from that, if there's anything else that that looking back, you you think you would you know, approach differently in your scholarship? Mm.
1: Yeah, well, the censorship thing was um, an interesting one for me because, um, you know, I, I had written this piece called We Are All Censors, mm. published in, you know, 30 years ago, at least, uh, when my children were still young enough for me to be concerned about those issues as a <laughs> parent. And I I wanted uh, a lot of my research in those days and to some extent still came from the experience of teaching uh, children's literature courses to uh, people students who were primarily there for you know future professional reasons they wanted to be teachers yeah. a lot of them uh, or daycare workers or something to do with working with children and they came equipped with an absolute 100% affirmative knowledge of what children are, what they should be, how they should read, and so mm-hmm. on, uh, all of which tended to deny the individual humanity of the vast mass of human young people. <laughs> so I spent much of my time in classroom basically trying to tell them not to make assumptions <laughs> about children. <laughs> One of my standard things to say to a class was, No, you know, if you're going to talk about uh, text for children, uh, don't talk about children talk about the thing you're reading (laughs) like Mm. like don't say this is a great poem for five-year-olds because they have short attention (laughs) (laughs)
2: spans
1: so my entire experience then was trying to get people not to choose books for children on the basis of first going through a long list of all the things they were trying to avoid Mm. like let's let us look at positives you know is it fun is it a uh, rather than saying, is there, are the words too hard? Does it have things in it that I object to yeah. in terms of moral values, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because it was always the negative. So they mm. wanted to focus on first. And apparently something that didn't do all those bad things, that was acceptable. <laughs>
0: that wasn't <the laughs>
1: book. That was a good book. <laughs> yeah, had no bad words in it. It didn't encourage children to make fun of their parents. It didn't, you know, etc. etc. So, in the in the context of that, there was quite a gulf between the experience my children were having and what my students imagined childhood was all about. Mm. <laughs> and so, I wrote the piece basically talking about what happened in our house with books uh And it basically came down to the the fact that they we had lots of we had way more children's books than most people did because mm. that was my professional library, mm. <laughs> and um, a lot of it weren't things I would have chosen uh, if I was just picking things that I thought were good, whatever mm-hmm. that means. I had examples of all kinds of things, you know. But you know, when it came to bedtime, the children could pick a book that I would read to them, or their books they could read themselves, and make it just have to pick any book. Mm. And we had some. Pretty strange experiences as a <laughs> result of that. Uh, often with books that seemed absolutely harmless to me, but that really disturbed one or one of my
0: children. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but in any case, I wanted to say that was acceptable. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, let them have their human responses to things. And yes, it becomes a, a parent a problem for a parent, but it's a, a good problem. Anyway. Mm-hmm uh you know all kinds of things got to be talked about and worked through and so on and so the whole focus of the article was you know let him add it. Right. <laughs> forget about that even though we are all censors somewhere mm-hmm. along the way so uh, what happened was that this uh, publisher in a small publishing house in uh, brazil asked if they could uh reprint that old piece mm-hmm. and uh, so i started going look at it and i thought oh wait a minute <laughs> And so we finally made an arrangement where they would publish this as a little book with the original piece and then a response which they would translate into uh, Portuguese. (laughs) And so, uh, but what was bothering me was exactly what we're talking about here, that I realized I was tending to be your typical kind of universalizing (laughs) writer. Like, this is what happens in my house, it should happen in yours. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I certainly uh, become more aware of issues around uh, uh, diversity and particularly about uh, the possible experience of people who come from, you know the kinds of cultural groups that get stereotyped, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes in obvious ways, sometimes not so obvious ways, and so on. And those all seem like valid concerns to me. So I wrote the new piece, basically trying to say, okay, so where do I stand on this? On the one hand, I believe absolutely there should be no censorship. Yeah. <laughs> and on the other hand, I don't like what happens mm. to these people when they read these books. <laughs> so, so
0: can can you reconcile mm-hmm. those two things, or do you just have to live with the you know incompatibility of those?
1: Kind well, I said that. what I what I ended up with is I don't believe in censorship, but I come down to like the title of the new piece is "We Are All Censors," including Perry <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I realized there are you know certain things that I would not share with my children, and I can understand why people uh, uh, get upset, and I understand why you need to think these things through. Hmm. In other words, just saying "let them out" any book will do, and then we'll talk about it. Is assuming a lot of things about the relationship they have uh, with uh, an adult. Mm. Um, I'm not taking into account when I say that a parent who is, you know, working three jobs and has ten minutes to, to talk to the child during the course of the day and maybe squeeze a little story, yeah, in, uh, and no time to deal with the effects of that. Mm. Uh, I'm not. Thinking about uh, a lot of things. And one of the things I, that I was not thinking about at that point was, but perhaps consciously or not, I was teaching my children always to be critical readers. Mm-hmm. Let them at it, but let them not be gullible. Yeah. Uh, and our basic assumption is at the point at which children stop being gullible, you've ruined children's literature for them. All right? You should, they shouldn't become aware of things they don't like in books. <laughs> they shouldn't, you know, have their imagination interrupted by questions about things like race or something like that. And uh, that's never been the way that I read literature. I don't believe that it should be the way anyone reads literature, although I can understand why it might be pleasurable. Mm. Uh, but I was taking it for granted that that wasn't happening. Mm. So you know that became another issue. So I guess basically I would say, yeah, you you can uh, resolve them on the basis of adding a number of provisos <laughs> in a way. And if you're not prepared to accept the provisos, well, then you know, then be a censor. Yeah, is all we can say. I mean, I think it's it's not it's unfortunate for the children you are being a censor for, but, uh, but you know, that's mm. the way the world works.
0: And I suppose a lot of it does come mm. down to what is the purpose? Why is the adult doing this? Is it mm. for pure pleasure? And is it for some idea of preserving innocence of childhood? Or is it about teaching them about other people? Is it about teaching them about literature and critical thinking? Mm. And, and a lot of it, I suppose, does come down to those why are we, you know, providing oh, yeah. these mm-hmm. things to, to children? What, what purpose are we hoping they will serve?
1: Yes. And then a lot of it comes down again to that gullibility issue, because one of the assumptions that a lot of people make is that children are gullible. Mm. In other words, you read a book with a racial stereotype in it and you will suddenly start thinking in racial stereotypes, just automatic, kind of, you know, because they're young and they're innocent and they don't know any better. (laughs) The example I had for that in my original censorship piece was that I had a student who brought this book to class one day and she brought a book which was called, I think, The Seven Little Mm. N-Words, which she had 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 and loved as a child she told the class how horrified she was that mm-hmm. she had this thing in her house that she had found it you know somewhere and up in the attic or something and then um, she felt she didn't want to throw it out but she was kept keeping it hidden at the back of the closet
2: mm.
1: on a high shelf uh, but what i found interesting was that the woman who had read that and loved it as mm. a child had grown up to immediately say oh my god this is horrible yeah And hid it away so that it wouldn't affect other people. And she had not been affected negatively by it.
0: But what Mm. I find really interesting about Mm. that, because that's something I'm looking Mm. at at the moment, I'm looking at Mm. um, ABC books um, specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm finding, I don't know if you have this doll, the Gollywog Character. Um,
1: oh well, I know about it. Yes, we had uh, we had an exhibit at the museum where there was one on display. But just about a year ago. So.
0: In in Britain, they were hugely hugely popular, and and I was so surprised to find out in so many of these books that I'm looking at how frequently this character features. And you look at it now, and it's you know mm-hmm. this it's based on a minstrel doll. It has this this mm-hmm. heavy racist connotations, yes. and mm-hmm. and was used as a racial slur against people so it was very much weaponized as a as a racial mm-hmm. thing but when you show it to people they were like i had one of those and i wasn't racist and i loved my gollywog doll and they have this real kind of problem with reconciling those things because you're kind of saying well here is a doll an object that is steeped in racist imagery mm-hmm. and a history and people do use it to mm-hmm. associate it with black people pejoratively, mm-hmm. and and use it as a racial sl- the name as a racial slur. And so you have these people going, but I loved this as a child. What does, does that make me racist? Mm-hmm. And you can be raised in this mm-hmm. thing where all of these things are normal. But a, a black child looking at mm-hmm. that is not going to say, oh, this is not a racist right. thing. They're going to see mm-hmm. something completely yeah. different. Well,
1: we had this exhibit of um, six, I think six or seven um, African-Canadian artists uh, at the the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia here in Halifax last year. And uh, and the one particular exhibit was actually a a Halifax artist, uh, an African-Canadian woman from Halifax. Uh, One of the things on display then was this uh, gollywog doll. Uh, along with things like that, they had some uh, steel fetters that had been used to hold slaves um, there was um, some other, like they had a copy of Black Sambo
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: uh, the picture book and so on, all in a sort of a museum case, so you can look at the artifacts of uh, you know the the toys and then the yep. So because it was what was interesting was that uh, showed that exhibit to a whole range of human beings and at the extremes there were a lot of black uh, visitors to the gallery who were horrified by it. Mm-hmm. And at the other end, there were people who said, oh, I had one of those when I was young. Yeah. Uh, and it was fascinating. The, and usually the ones that had it when they were young were happy to consider the possibility that it might be racist, but yeah. it hadn't occurred to them yeah. until they saw it again in the case and said, "Oh, yeah, here's a whole different context for this thing I had in my yeah. childhood." You know, and I, I just found it fascinating that, and the the young, younger, particularly uh, black visitors, just automatically found it obviously racist, and you know, some were even weren't even sure it should be on display in that context. Yeah. So it was like it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, test case, anyway. Yeah. Like, what does it mean that you could look at that as a child and not notice it was racist?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing because if you show it to children now who didn't grow up with these things, to them it's obviously. And and that's one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is looking at these very early, you know, ABC books. The, the first texts that we that we show children about them, saying, "Well, this is what the world looks like, and this is your place in the world, and this is other people's place in the world." Presenting it as if it's a sort of visual, just a simple visual dictionary of the world. When in fact, it's far more complex than that.
1: Yeah, and in terms of visual dictionary, uh, the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia a fairly young art gallery. It was only really founded in the nineteen seventies, but it has around fourteen thousand pieces in its uh, permanent collection. I became curious. We now have a, an online database of what's in the permanent collection of the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia. So I went in there and I looked to see what there was in terms of like terms like Uh, worked by black artists, uh, African Nova Scotia artists, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of the more than 14,000 pieces, the grand total was 62 pieces, uh, only uh, about half of which were actually by African Nova Scotians. And as I said, this is a significant population Mm -hmm. in the history of the province.
0: So, that, I mean, that is really a reflection, again, of, of what you find in, in children's literature, isn't it? In terms of representation yeah. and, yeah, it's the same story. Mm. One of the things that always fascinates me is how animals uh, as a, as characters mm. within stories kind of outnumber other groups of characters. And this is something that you've uh, mm. been looking at when you're in your fishes people uh, yes. work. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I just wondered if you could tell us some of your findings around that because I think it's a really fascinating. Yeah. Area.
1: Well, this is where I said you know I was talking about like the art gallery thing. Is what what astonishes me is how you come back to the same
2: mm.
1: but things we take for granted so much that we don't really explore them all that much. And that was one. That is one. I think. Mm. Uh, like, why are there so many children's books that are in fact not about human beings? <laughs> People, when I asked used to ask classes about that, they always said, "Oh, children like animals." Mm. And I said, "Well." Yeah, but I like animals. They, they were <laughs> my books about yeah. animals. Uh- and then they would say uh children identify with animals and i said why and they never had much of an answer nice. they started thinking about an answer It was somehow because they're they're sort of closer to animals than adults are mm. <laughs> you know and one of the things that people do like to assume is that there is something more animal-like about children mm. uh, than adults they haven't been socialized yet you know i mean yep. socialization means learning how to be an adult right mm. <laughs> and so if you're not there yet then you're more like an animal you know? yeah uh, and then we and then we get you know then we get this like it always depends me but when people talk about their fur babies and so on (laughs) like we, we tend to think about children in a way that allows us to think of our pets as children
0: yeah and and as you, mm-hmm. you speak about, mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. that actually doesn't allow much mm-hmm. for their animality, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're filling them with yes. you yeah. know, your projection of of children or humans, then, then where is their yeah. animal nature? Yeah.
1: And there is a lot. I mean, you know, I realize thinking about all these art books, they're all educational. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they may have these wonderful fantasy stories and mm-hmm. great images and so on, but at the heart of it, it's all about let's teach children about art. Yeah. And that's true of so much children's literature. Like you know, I, I've reached to the point where if I'm say children's literature, probably the most distinguishing characteristic of children's literature, it is always un- didactic. Mm. And if it isn't didactic, uh, we'll find some way of thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. And, kind of, and uh, so you get that kind of focus. But a lot of that means, you know, you need to learn how to be an adult. Mm. <laughs> so the fish, I, I ended up with the fish because I became interested in just learning a little bit more about, you know, post-human kinds of approaches to things. Mm and uh i had written a piece about uh, winnie the pooh from a posthuman perspective which is in a book coming out again next year i think i thought i'd focus on that in terms of the picture books for a conference talk because picture books are great for giving conference yep. presentations you can show pictures all yep. that. <laughs> uh, and I ended up with fish because i was just astonished to find as many fish as i started to find when i was just mm. looking around you know in the library and places like that but also uh that of all the creatures that seem to be featured prominently in children's books, the ones that are least like human beings, seems to me, are fish. <laughs> yeah. Like they live underwater, yeah. they're slimy, and they don't have any arms or yeah. legs. <laughs> you know? And yet, there they are, book after book after book. I found like hundreds of them. And, uh, you know, one of my principles at this point in my career is that if we're going to understand how children's literature works, we have to understand how it all works like focusing on things we think are, quote, good literature is kind of silly, I think.
0: Yeah, well, this is one of the things that I was really impressed with um, mm. when I heard you mm. speak at, uh, mm. at Cambridge mm. was that it was just these kind of cheap and, you know, not great literature mm. books that, that you would pulled from the library. And and you mentioned, I think, in your, your closing speech about the fact that a lot of the Books that we talk about are these kind of exceptional, beautiful, Mm -hmm. artistic things. But when you actually look at at what is available in supermarkets and and bookshops, Mm -hmm. most Mm -hmm. of the children aren't seeing these amazing you know artistic yes. yeah
1: I did a piece a few years ago which is in a collection uh, edited by Janet Evans about what's it called something about
0: challenging yeah. and controversial pictures. Yeah, books.
1: challenging and controversial she yeah. liked them because they were challenging yeah. so I, I said I what I will do is I write a book uh, I'd, be, I'd be happy to write about you know just ordinary books and why aren't they challenging and controversial mm. <laughs> so I wrote this, the piece that's in there which it was basically I went and looked at chose a week and just took all the best seller lists I yeah. could find in the United States Canada yeah. UK, and came up with a, a body of books, which were on all of those lists in all those countries. Yeah. And what was intriguing was that almost all of them were about animals <laughs> mm. uh, to begin with. But uh, And then how they were depicting, you know, how they were making use of animals and so on, and how bizarre the world was that was being depicted in those things. Like, you know, those things like um, children in a, in a kindergarten class uh, where everyone is of a different species. Yeah. Uh, and where one result of which was like 80% of them couldn't possibly hold a pencil, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they have hooves rather than fingers. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just find it fascinating that we take that for granted as not controversial or bizarre. Hmm. Uh, and if you, you know, if you take a kind of a cold eye and look at those kinds of books, it's amazing what you see we're, we are taking for granted. And what we're basically pushing that children as what books are all about. Yeah. So, you know, that that's... You know where I got from post posthuman to thinking about uh, some of those issues, but it is amazing how many of the aspects of uh, that are just sort of like typical of children's books are things we don't often talk about. Mm. And I become more aware of more of them, you know, as I as I think about it more. Mm. Anyway, the animal, the just the animals in general, but you know, these repeated plot patterns and uh, all kinds of assumptions about how you talk to an audience of children and so on, and they they kind of cross matters like is it a cheap cutesy book from the supermarket or is it you know the winner of an important prize? yeah they all share those qualities it's certainly true in terms of uh, when you get to you know past picture books and into fiction i do get the sense that the vast body of the critical literature tends to be Mm. about the books that the people doing the writing like themselves as adults
0: (laughs) yeah of course Mm. you've got the hidden adult is you know another very important Mm. text that you you wrote. Have your any of your views on the adult childhood relationship mm-hmm. kind of changed throughout your career? Uh,
1: if I if I thought about that, I'd be thinking about uh, not real relationships.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'd be thinking about the relationships that are as they are depicted in literature, yep. and particularly as they are depicted in. Are thinking about the literature,
0: mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that, that kind of drew me to mm-hmm. to children's literature mm-hmm. study was that mm-hmm. we are taught through the books that we read as children mm-hmm. that this is what sort of relation, this, this is what mm-hmm. adults look like, and this is how adults behave, and this is how children behave. Mm-hmm. And then when you become an adult and you realise that it's far more messy than that. And mm-hmm. and I I kind of felt a little bit that books I'd read had kind of tricked mm. me into <laughs> into believing that that's the way the world worked.
1: Yeah, and and that comes back in a sense to the censorship mm. thing because often the adults in children's books are uh, not human in exactly the sense you're talking about. Yeah. because when they are, then immediately people start complaining to the library. You're teaching my child to be disrespectful of parents mm-hmm. or police or whoever it happens yeah. to be. And, uh, and, and what that comes down to is the assumption that the very most important thing you can teach a child about reading is they should always be looking for the, the message. Uh, and the message is often about behavior and your attitude to the authority figures. <laughs> mm. And and if you challenge that by saying, well, you know, it's just a character in the book, then you've just spoiled the, no, no, there's no point for the child reading anymore, <laughs> is there? How are they going to learn at the right attitudes if you can't be guaranteed to have them in the books you find in the children's section of the library? Yeah, uh, And I think those are attitudes that have not gone away. Uh, maybe people are a little more willing, and maybe some of the things that parents do are different, because uh, what we approve of in more general terms, you know, culturally is different, I think, mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah, um, you know, it's okay. It's okay nowadays to have a father who is uh, washing the dishes after dinner in a picture book, which it might not have been thirty or forty yep. years ago. Yeah, <laughs> because yep. there'd be people who'd be upset by that. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that's the thing. And so often, when you look in picture books, there, there are you know, you can tell it's the father because he's sitting on the mm-hmm. on a chair reading a mm-hmm. newspaper. Mm-hmm. That's a you know yes. a visual yeah. shorthand for a father. Is you know, mm-hmm. he's sitting down yeah. reading the newspaper. And yes, I think that, yes. that comes down mm-hmm. to a lot of the, you know, we talked at the beginning about, about the kind of uh, visual culture and art. A, a lot of it is, mm-hmm. I think, down to how does an illustrator convey this as, as succinctly as mm-hmm. possible? And so mm-hmm. by having a man reading mm-hmm. a newspaper mm-hmm. at, at a chair or yes. a table, mm-hmm. you know instantly, OK, that's the dad. And the woman mm-hmm. at the, you know, at the, <laughs> at the sink or whatever, that that is the, the mother. So it takes a lot for people to you know to move those and say well actually this is not what families look like yes, yes there absolutely. are lots of families that don't mm. look like that but it takes it takes a, mm-hmm. a conscious conscious effort on the part of illustrators and you know marketers and mm-hmm. publishers and all of those to to make those changes
1: yeah and i think you know as we become conscious of some of those things then they are less prevalent perhaps in picture mm. books but meanwhile they're bound to have been replaced by other things that uh, we may be less aware that we're annoyed by. Yeah. So far. And then in mean, 20 years' there. time, we'll be looking <laughs> at those going
0: off. Look at those. Yeah. Going.
1: Well, I was thinking about um, the Anthony Brown book, pig, Piggy Book, is it called? Yeah. Where they, uh, there's a, a family. There's mm-hmm. two, I think there's two boys and a mother and a father. And the mother does all the work and the father sits around. And mm-hmm. so, and she finally says, says, I've had enough of you pigs. And she pigs off. And the the point of the book is that uh, the entire house is like everywhere you look, there's little pigs in the illustrations, yeah. the ornaments, you know, the the fabric on the sofa and so on are all little pig heads. And so on. <laughs> uh, but it is, and, and so they have to fend for themselves, mm. and finally they can't do any of these things, yeah. and you know, pathetically grateful when she comes back and lifts them back into shape, and <laughs> and ends up making them, teaching them how to do the dishes and stuff. While she goes out and fixes the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, okay, so that book was a great favorite. When my children were young, they loved that book. My wife loved that book. She loved reading <laughs> it too. Then <laughs> I was thinking, you know, I was looking at it again because it had come up in, in some weird way. And then the ending is like, again, it's like confirming gender stereotypes. So yeah. she's a woman who, one woman who's going to go out and do this. Isn't it hilarious? She's going to fix a car. <laughs>
0: yeah. And that's the thing, and it shouldn't be that shouldn't be a sort of punchline or anything, you know. Yeah,
1: it shouldn't be a punchline that she ends up doing the doing the thing that you, that is conventionally a male pursuit. Yeah. She should, you know, like why should she have to in order to make a point? Yeah. <laughs> mm. So it's a book that has aged pretty well, but not totally well. Mm. But, yeah, I guess I would say because I, I I never would have thought of that. I don't think in no. you know in twenty and, years,
0: thirty yeah, years ago. But hopefully, things you
1: know. <laughs> well, we're we're moving forward. I think. Yes
0: it's it's been really really interesting thank you so much my thanks to professor nodelman and my thanks also to you for joining us on the children's literature research podcast hope you enjoyed the episode and i look forward to spending time with you again